Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on Animal Welfare Certified Bone-In Beef Short Ribs, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie and Ground Lamb. Grab an Olive Bull Bread from the Bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This is the Hunt for Wellness podcast with Mac McLenathan, 39, Nimbus 1500. It's another great day for wellness, and this is Bones bringing the packs of F3 Nation the latest strategies and tips to accelerate their king and optimize their queen. Health is a journey and requires you to take a proactive approach on a daily basis. Knowing exactly what to do and how to do it will help you achieve it faster. Each week, we are going to be interviewing the leading health and wellness experts, sharing inspiring stories from the packs, and diving into the latest research to help you optimize your health. So get ready as we embark on your hunt for wellness. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Hunt for Wellness podcast. This is Dr. Tunis Hunt, otherwise known as Bones in the Gloom. And Pac, super excited to be back with you on the airways today and real excited about our guest today and, and diving into his own personal story. As many of the guests I get onto this show are, are, are introduced to me, they, they come from other individuals, maybe that post with them or learn of their story. And this guest was no exception. He came highly recommended by some other high-impact men in his region. And I'm super excited to get him on the airway to share his story with you today. And of course, I am talking about none other than Mac McLenathan, otherwise known as Nimbus 1500 in the gloom. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, um, let's do this, man. Let's start right off the bat with a little bit of F3 background. Let us know a little bit about uh, your origin of learning about what F3 is, how you got out into the gloom, and then certainly why the name Nimbus 1500. Sure. Yeah, I had uh, moved into a new neighborhood in Nolensville, Tennessee, suburb of Nashville. 
And my next door neighbor, after a few months, decided he was going to, you know, try to try to EH me and got me out for a, a January workout with the, the Nashville guys. And Nashville's, I don't know, probably half an hour from uh, from where we're at. So it's a bit of a bit of a drive and early. And I was the uh, I'm a lifelong was a lifelong uh, night out. So it was not super enticing, but I also have a hard time saying no. So I went um, with him. Numtux is his name. <clears throat> and he said there'd be no running. So of course we get there. And the only thing we did was run forever. I was uh, pretty heavy at the time and hadn't run regularly for a number of years. So I, I struggled and wanted them to leave me, but they they wouldn't give up on the six. And uh, so I got to, I got to play that role for quite some time. And uh, post post workout, I was uh, named in Nashville. Nimbus fifteen hundred came from. Uh, I had all these big plans. Numtux had prepped me, you know, about the drill, what I should expect, and I had all these stories I was going to feed for a you know positive outcome. It turns out they they found the one weakness. They asked me about what I did, and I talked about selling the cloud. I worked for a company called Green Cloud at the time. And so they started throwing around Cumulus Nimbus and all that. And, and then someone said Nimbus 2000. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want 2000. That's a Harry Potter reference. I don't want to be a Harry Potter reference. And of course, that locked it in. So I became Nimbus 2000. Fast forward to four months later, I would say I had a false start. I didn't go back to Nashville uh, after all that running. But uh, Numtux and some other guys, third degree, uh, Tebow, started the Nolansville region. So now the AO is five minutes from my house. I'm carpooling with my neighbor to get there. A um, little bit easier, but I also was a little bit more motivated uh, to get rolling in, in April. And through the first four months, I lost about 60 pounds. So they renamed me Nimbus 1500 just because I had lost a decent portion of my uh, my body mass there. So it, it, I got named twice kind of through a bit of a transformation. Yeah, it's funny. I, I I don't know of any other tax off the top of my head that has had a rename based on, you know, a positive weight loss or, or whatever. I've had uh, I've I've heard of stories of packs requesting a rename or uh, a wife or an M kind of interjecting and and saying something. But usually it's a it's a worse outcome the second time around. It sounds like yours is a little bit of an upgrade, maybe, uh, which is which is unique, uh, which is yeah. good now you lost, you said 30 or you said 30 pounds or so. Yeah. So have you lost poundage since the rename of 1500? Have I lost since then? Y- yeah. No, no. Oh, okay. I've actually gained a little bit back. Cause I think at the bottom end of that 60 pound loss, um, it was too much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it was 60 pounds. I'm sorry. I misquoted. I said 30. So 60 pounds. So yeah, I was just curious if you lost any more, if it would just go down like twelve hundred, and finally we're shooting for Nimbus thousand or or whatever. So. Well, that that's kind of what it ends up being. So I could be Nimbus whatever at any given day, and you know if I'm putting on a couple extra pounds, like bro, Nimbus two thousand is coming back. You got you got to get on it. <laughs> that's funny. So so some, some accountability yeah. to it. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about the guys in the gloom, man. They're not as scared to, or they shouldn't be to, to, to rib each other and, and encourage each other and, and, and spur each other on. Well, I see that you're wearing, uh, I know everyone can't see this video, but uh, you're, you're wearing an Oregon shirt. It looks like our sweatshirt. I see a Mariota jersey framed behind you. 
obviously not from Nashville region. Uh, tell me a little bit about your backstory. Oh yeah, man. Uh, I'm a native Oregonian. I grew up in Eugene, um, moved out to Nashville about 17 years ago, kind of chasing the neon rainbow, came out here to be a country singer, did the, um, album recording, did a bunch of shows, chased that for a while and had four kids. And with each kid, the, the shows started to dwindle. Uh, but really uh, I couldn't find out how to, or couldn't figure out how to make any money in that business. So, uh, my, my, my day job became my, my primary source of income. And what's kind of funny is, um, I'm still on tour. I travel and speak and train and sell. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much still on stage, just a different stage. Yeah, not not the musical talent. So grew up uh, a country music fan. I mean, was that the genre you just listened to or did you, you felt like talent wise? That's just kind of what you gravitated towards. Oh, yeah, I was I was a big uh, country music fan, but I kind of liked all the things I when I moved to Nashville, <clears throat> it definitely was more country focused. But, you know, coming from the Northwest, there's all kinds of influences up there and the, the folksy styles. And <clears throat> when I moved here, after a couple of years, I was playing a pretty regular show over at uh, Lowe's Vanderbilt Hotels, a uh, uh, piano bar. And guy came up to me, actually, strangely, in the bathroom on a break one time <laughs> and uh, pulled up next to me. It was really awkward. And like, hey, do you feel dabble in any other styles? I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure I'm ready to talk to you in this situation. But uh, sure, you know, I'll, I'll throw some crooner stuff in there, weddings and all that. And he goes, wonderful because we have the longest running big band in nashville and our sinatra guy just moved to florida so you should come try out so i ended up doing a couple years with them as the sinatra guy in a tux so that was a a lot of fun wow that is so do you play the guitar and other instruments too or just sing or what's your repertoire here primarily a primarily a singer but i learned how to play the guitar two reasons one I found in Nashville, it's really expensive to hire that out most of the time. So being self-sufficient is uh, is is helpful out here, and it's become a, a pretty fun hobby. Um, sure. And my little brother was learning at the time. I was like, man, I don't want him to get better at something than me. So it was a little bit competitive. So I uh, I picked up the car just to make sure he didn't get too big of a head start on me. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Now, is your family musically talented? I mean, your parents uh, musically inclined? I mean, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my parents, uh, I believe in the 70s, <clears throat> sang in a trio and recorded in Nashville, their gospel trio. But my my dad grew up singing in the trio with his two other brothers and uh, traveled all over the place. Mom uh, did the same thing. Um, and she's, she's still singing in church and leading worship at church even today. So musical parents for sure. Yeah, that's well, it's interesting. I asked that. Uh, in part because my son is is a very uh, accomplished guitarist. I mean, he's only uh, 14 years old, but uh, picked it up. We, you know, years ago, uh, kind of on a whim. You know, he he mentioned something about wanting to play an instrument, and of course, cheap parents and parents that just weren't sure if they were going to gravitate towards anything. We bought him like this little ukulele one year for Christmas, <laughs> and of course, the the thing about this kid's generation is, you know, YouTube and they can go on YouTube and learn anything. And so he would go in day after day and come out playing new songs. And it was just like, Whoa, okay. He's, he's actually 
really liking this and, and really has an affinity to, to, to learn it. And so just through counseling with another actual musician, we bought him a little baby Taylor. Cause I mean, he was a little kid. And, and so he picked that up and then took some lessons, but just really accelerated at it and currently plays in some local bands here in Charlotte and, and, and does that. But, uh, I don't have a, an ounce of musical talent in me and, and neither does my wife. So I was just curious, you know, how sometimes that gets passed down. And to my knowledge, no one in our family was ever that talented, even though we could halfway carry a tune, I guess my wife more than me. Um, but anyway, that's why I was asking just because, you know, he, if, if you ask him today what he wants to be when he grows up, it's still the dream of, playing in a band and um, making money on tour, that kind of stuff. So I was just curious about your upbringing and I, kind of that perspective. I, I can't, uh, I can't help them w- with advice on how to make money doing that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. I, what's funny is learning on YouTube, it, it definitely a newer generation. When, when I was coming up, none of my parents are really, nobody played the guitar in my family. When my little brother picked it up again, that's kind of what triggered it. But what we ended up doing is I, I, borrowed a guitars for dummies book mm-hmm. and i was driving i was 18 years old i was driving from california to oregon and i got stuck in the in the pass on i-5 <clears throat> and with snow right so i couldn't go anywhere i'm sitting there with a guitar and a guitars for dummies book and i sat in the back of my car and i pulled out my first like three chord country song just off of reading guitars for dummies so um, that's my version of the youtube trial yeah, no, I mean, and just, you know, he, we introduced him to some documentary documentaries on like Tom Petty and some of those other guys and just, you know, they would spend hours in the rooms and play. And of course, you know, as a parent, you're like, get off the video game and go practice your guitar. And, um, you know, just it's a different culture now. I mean, they're just so distracted with so many different things that they just don't do that. But uh, we did put him in piano initially. Um, we thought it was important for him to be able to read music as well so that just he wouldn't just play the tabs or just wrote memorize you know a a harmony or whatever and he can do that pretty well but the fact that he can actually read music has helped him a lot to just kind of jump into any type of scenario so he plays the keys he picked up the bass uh he wants to learn the drums now so i'm like you know let's one thing at a time man let's let's master one thing and then, then then we'll worry about the other stuff so Anyway, I, I, who knows? Who knows? He might he might chase that Nashville dream one day as well. Although he's into more of this uh, heavier rock sound, you know, classic sure. rock, not not as much as the Nashville. So when you first moved to Nashville, um, were you single? <clears throat> were you married? It sounds like you said with each kid, that dream got further and further away. So did you come out there single, or did you come out there um, married already? Oh, thank God I did not come out here single. That is a, <laughs> that's a blessing. My wife and I, when we were dating uh, in Eugene, we were kind of at a bit of a crossroads. <clears throat> she was uh, just just graduated, um, looking to be a teacher, and they were paying you know good money to teach in the Alaskan bush or in South Central LA. So she elected for <clears throat> the beach and went to Compton essentially. <laughs> and the plan was she was going to go to California, and I was going to go to Nashville. We were dating. And then we'll see where it went. Um, I worked for a company uh, with the sole purpose of trying to transfer. So I would I was trying to be the first Nashville musician to ever move out here with a job. 
So, but the moving, <laughs> transferring in a sales organization is really, really challenging. Um, so it took all year. So she taught a year in Compton, loved it. She's like, you should probably move down here. I'm like, no, 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 I don't really want to move to Compton. But um, she was living in Long Beach, taught in Compton. I'll put that buffer in there. But um, so she ended up moving back. We, we ended up getting married and then we're sitting in our apartment a couple months in. She goes, if you are going to ever go to Nashville, we better do it now or we'll never go. Um, so I'm like, you know what, that you're exactly right. And we put in, put in for the transfer, got it. And we ended up moving to Nashville and not knowing a soul, not really having even experienced Nashville. I'd, we'd been there one time to visit, um, you know, for a weekend. So it was a, it was a, it was a big jump on a lot of fronts, especially, you know, culturally coming from the Northwest, uh, to, to the South, but we, we love it out here. Yeah. And, and when you first got there, obviously you're chasing the dream. You mentioned recording a few things. Was it like gig after gig after gig at night? Uh, were you getting invited to certain locations? How, how does that work? I mean, I've seen, you know, the Garth Brooks documentary or some other things of these, you know, wild dreams of chasing it. And it just is, it looks like a grind. Um, and just talking to other people that have gone and, and done it to some degree, you know, that the talent pool out there is amazing. You know, you can go to any local location and just unbelievable talent. So tell me how that first yeah. couple of years were and, and what you were doing. Well, first couple of years were just a blast because everything was new. You're trying to figure out what to do. You know, I'll go and look at the songwriters um, associations and you know, going to all the shows and picking up ideas. I mean, it's just inspiring, really. If you're experiencing Nashville, really, uh, with that bent, I mean, there's so much good talent and um, a lot of great people around. <clears throat> I worked in a store, a retail store, um, selling wireless phones. And I, I kind of thought, you know, coming from Oregon, there's nobody really famous outside of Sam Elliott that lives in Oregon. But um, when you move to Nashville, like, okay, maybe, maybe you'll probably see some folks that have made a little bit bigger. Um, and I, this store that I worked at was in Brentwood, <clears throat> um, where apparently, you know, a lot of country artists and others live. And I ended up kind of becoming the the wireless guy to the stars for a little while, I had to deal with all the other reps, like, let me handle this. You know, I had my stack CDs for the Nashville handshake, you know, handing off my stuff, you know, met producers and artists and, um, just had a big time, met a lot of folks that I've been watching and listening to for years. And, and one of them really stood out to me because I thought um, he took a lot of time unnecessarily to advise. But uh, Kix Brooks, you know, came in several times, got to know him OK. And, and uh, finally, I kind of gave him the seat. He's like, oh, gosh, another guy uh, handed me the handed me the <laughs> So I'm like, man, I don't ask him for anything. Just, you know, I'd be curious to get your feedback if you're willing. And, you know, he took it. And then the guy called me back the the next day and was quoting lines out of my songs and, um, you know, kind of giving me his backstory and basically saying, you know, he was in town for 13 years chasing the dream before he even met, you know, Ronnie of Brooks and Dunn. And, um, you know, as, as I remember it, right. But I thought, man, that was the first time I was like, this is, this is a long hauler, which was fine. Um, and the more we had, more we had kids and expanded out, you know, it just kind of ticked down, which isn't a bad thing. Um, it just kind of changed the trajectory and now I'm, uh, now I'm selling the cloud. Yeah. No, I hear you. Did you ever get, uh, a song, um, 
populated? I mean, did anybody play it or were you able to sell lyrics to anybody, anything like that? No, I mean, I recorded an album in 2011. Um, you know, it's on iTunes and Spotify to this day. It's actually been probably a better business card for me than anything else because, you know, traveling around talking and something interesting, memorable when the uh, sure your, your cloud guy is uh, was also a Nashville recording artist. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's still out there. I used a stage name, Mackie Roberts. Um, okay. My Clinathan, uh, I didn't think was going to be very Google friendly, so I uh, <laughs> no. made a last second change before that to print um, to shorten it up a bit. So Mac, you said Mackie Robbins? Is that what you said it was? Uh, Roberts. So M A C K E Y Roberts. 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 Really, my legal first name. Uh, was what I grew up being called. So I just flipped them. Still family names. I was actually kind of worried to tell my dad, like, man, sorry, I just don't know if McLenathan's going to be very Google friendly. <laughs> so I just want you to know I'm painting this on the album. And he goes, man, I've been thinking about doing that for years. Like, oh, that's great. funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. It's not a very uh, country music last name, <clears throat> you know, uh, as far as that goes. So yeah, it doesn't just roll off the tongue. And uh, you got to keep it so- in a few syllables. Preferably one. That's right. Okay, Pax, I just want to interrupt this program to let you know that I went on Spotify and I looked up Mr. Mackie Roberts and um going to give you a little taste of the song, Tell Me That's Not Country, by our boy Nimbus 1500. kids do you have now um i have four um okay. four of mine and then we have uh we've been involved in some foster care for the last several years and so we've got uh, another little girl with us right now as well so five kids nice. in the house right now gotcha and how's how's the oldest uh just turned 14 okay and then the got youngest a, is um my youngest so I got a 14, 11, 9, 7, and then we have a 10-month-old in-house. Oh, wow. Gotcha. So the 10-month-old is the foster? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you guys are really <laughs> adding a, a, a mix to, to, to the basket there. You get those teenage years, and you feel like you're self-sufficient almost, and then you throw an infant back in. So good on you, man. How many kids have you guys fostered over the years? Um, I think... Depends how you count, but probably 15 or okay. 16. Nice. 
Very good. It's just something that was laid on your wife's and yours heart uh, years ago, or just how'd you guys end up learning and, and getting involved in doing that? Yeah, I, my wife, it was a, I would say an iterative process, but she worked for a, kind of an adoption advocacy, advocacy group out of uh, Ethiopia and organized trips and kind of got exposed to that community. And then once you kind of see it, there's a whole bunch of offshoots and different models on, you know, um, not only adoption, but foster and, you know, other ways to support, you know, families that are just generally in crisis. Um, so we, we got exposed to a couple different groups that were, um, you know, short-term foster in the United States that were kind of outside of the state system. So it was more voluntary and then kind of evolved through a couple other programs we've had, um, that I think the objective was to keep the, keep them younger than my youngest at any given time. And we've pretty much stayed there. Um, but the last two have been, um, we've gotten from the hospital, which is, which wow. is really, really, really cool. Yeah. And then how long typically do you foster, um, before they leave your home? It's been, it's been weeks and, um, you know, this, this will be the longest, probably okay. 10 months. Got it. Okay. Just curious. Yeah. I know some families here locally that do similar work and it's just unique and, and inter interesting to see, you know, the, that whole process and, and so forth. So man, good on you and good on your family. And I know that's a blessing to those kids that are coming into your household and, and, and unique for your own children to kind of, Oh, I, they're the ones that kind of surprised me the most. They have, uh, you know, before, before and after we kind of do a debrief, um, in most cases and we're asking the kids, when are we, uh, you know, you cool with doing this again? Uh, this is such, and they, all of them are all in, you know, it's when are we getting, when do we get the next one? Oh, wow. That's all awesome. already before me. probably. <laughs> That's great, man. They're, I think that's uh, awesome. Where they can actually be helpful. So that has actually changed the dynamic a good bit. When we first started, that was not so much the case. But sure. My uh, nine-year-old daughter loves these little babies. So that's great, man. That's awesome. I, lo I love to hear stories like that. Well, as far as um, kind of circling the wagon here, you know, the purpose of this show primarily <laughs> is talk about health and wellness and just kind of what a PAX member might be doing to to strategize their own journey. You've given us a little 30 second commercial as far as you know losing 60 pounds and and with the name change and stuff. Obviously when you first moved to Nashville, you were doing a lot of the music stuff. Uh, I'm assuming that's when some of that weight gain initially started to occur. I mean and and got got to your heaviest. Yeah, well, I mean, I generally speaking, I just like to eat um, yeah, I'm a big fan. Like all this, all the stuff. There's not a lot that I stay away from. Big sweets fan, also. Um, so yeah, I mean, you get you get uh, going and the working during the day and activities at night. <clears throat> you just kind of uh, just kind of like traveling. I, I'm again transferred to my my new my new uh, um, on the road model with with uh, with work and traveling makes eating a little bit more of a challenge. So on the go usually doesn't, uh, equal super healthy choices, but, uh, yeah, I started to pack it on really kind of off and on. I, I think the biggest gain came when I, when I started to work for that, uh, wireless store right across the street was a Starbucks and it walkable. So every time you take a break, I would go over there and fill up on a grande latte. And I think that, uh, that three or four whole milk lattes a day yeah. really did some damage. <laughs> Yeah, that's my, it's realize, like my freshman. You know, 
Yeah, I was going to say, people don't realize just how many calories are in those drinks. I mean, unless you're drinking the black coffee, I mean, you're just getting this huge fat bomb or dessert bomb, depending on, you know, whatever else is going in there. So yeah, I can, mm-hmm. I can only imagine, and expensive, man. No wonder <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of cash to be dropping on a day-to-day basis. Now, was it, uh, where you just had an affinity to Starbucks being from the North, uh, West or just, it was just the convenience factor. Uh, well, it was convenience and, you know, Starbucks was, it's fine. I, I think I was a bigger fan at that point. Um, but if we ever, if we can get into t- cafeteria at some point here, my, uh, my palate has changed a good bit since, since that time. So, Got it. Okay. So obviously we're gaining weight, uh, not working out. It doesn't sound like until you were introduced to that, um, F3 workout in Nashville. Is that correct? I mean, you weren't like running on your own or lifting on your own or anything like that. Uh, there, there was a couple attempts, you know, to join a gym, um, you know, I go and do some of the old football workouts or something like that. Um, there was a time my wife and I were going to train to run a half marathon with my, my parents in Nashville. Um, and we, we did that. And the training was okay. The race absolutely wrecked me. I mean, we finished, but I mean, my dad's 25 years older than me. And, you know, he kind of walked out there ready to roll after game, after the, <laughs> after the race. And my wife and I were like down for two days after that. So we were definitely not ready, <laughs> yeah. ready for the race, but yeah, we did it. Um, but really that was the only regular, I mean, I would say that was the only kind of attempts um, in that, in that window of time. So that's 12 years of a lot of yo-yo activity mm-hmm. and the last five years really when i got introduced to f3 was when it became a little bit more regular and really the first time i ever paired the nutrition with the exercise ever in my life so that yeah. that is uh the bigger part of the transformation was the combo um in a lot of ways yeah so out of shape, it's January in Nashville, which, you know, it gets cool there. I mean, it's not like it's Fargo, but it's not Miami Beach either. And, and it's cold. You have to drive 30 minutes away to work out with a bunch of guys early in the morning, and you're not a morning person. I mean, what what was going through your mind to say yes to go do all that, man? Well, part of my problem, though, is I have a hard time saying no in general. So my neighbor was aware of this at that time and, and, uh, figure I was an easy mark <clears throat> because I would actually, you know, if, if he's waiting in my driveway, which he lived pretty much at the end of my driveway, um, you know, then I was going to get up and go. So I went, and again, the, the camaraderie and the way that he sold the idea of F3 was interesting to me as well, too. Cause we really hadn't, uh, I mean, we can, we moved here and didn't know anyone like at all. Um, fortunately got plugged into a, a, a life group kind of at church. So we had some good friends, kind of similar stage of life, um, you know, that we were able to, we were all kind of having kids at the same time. So we had that connection, but still didn't really live all that close, um, even to that community. Um, so it was, a it was a perfect storm. All the things sounded pretty interesting at the time. Yeah. And I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I had a similar experience, you know, once I kind of realized what it was other than just, you know, a workout looking for that guy, friendship, camaraderie type of thing. So was your neighbor driving to Nashville repetitively to do F3 on a consistent basis? Um, what was his story? Yeah. Nashville, Brentwood, Franklin, there's AOs kind of sprinkled in, in the 25 to 40 minute drive window. Um, 
And, you know, I was really only exposed to him at the time, but my neighbor, uh, so I live on the end of a cul-de-sac. And if you go to, you look to the right, one house down, you know, he lived there. And then another one, one house down, there was another guy that was getting into F3 at that time. And then another one around the corner that was driving to, you know, Franklin most of the time. And that's kind of where they started and ultimately kind of all coalesced around, Hey, there's enough of us traveling from just this neighborhood. We should probably just start our own. Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly what you should have done and, and glad you guys did. So you planted the flag in uh, Nolensville. What year was that? Two. So this is our five-year anniversary in April. So okay. whatever. So 18, is. yeah, 2018-ish, probably. Mm-hmm. Okay, so planted the flag. Um, how many guys were there? Were you at that first workout? Yep, at the first okay. workout. Um. You know what? I think there was probably like nine or 10 guys. There was a decent showing for the first one. Um, there's a picture floating around somewhere. I'd have to go back and do a count. But I I know that uh, out of the four original founders, three of them are still active in our group today. I was uh, not a, I was not leading. I don't think I led a workout for the first year. Oh, wow. Um, but those guys took on the the burden and pretty much led the charge for, they laid a good foundation for Nolansville to where we were able to kind of expand out and, um, you know, keep it rolling and expanding the AOs. Sure. So how many AOs do you guys offer on a weekly basis now? So we got <clears throat> Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And then sometimes there's a pop-up run on Friday. So is it one location each of those days or do you have multiple locations? Different location. We So we started and did, um, so we started a Tuesday workout, uh, Broken Wheels, the the first one, <clears throat> which is kind of the logo for for the group. So our shirts are based off of the, the Broken Wheel of Nolensville. Um, then we added a Saturday workout and we added a, a Thursday workout that was, the Saturday was at the high school football field. Nice, nice new football field at the time. Really great place to uh to get out on a, on a saturday morning and then the thursday was at the same location as the tuesday and then we ended up moving out just for just to kind of spread out and get a couple different looks a couple different uh jungle gyms to do stuff off of so they're all at separate locations but all within a couple miles of each other got it and then every morning um there's only one place to go there's not multiple locations to go on a single day right mm-hmm. okay so most of the guys, if any guys posting in that region, they're all kind of going to that same location. So you guys are building that community pretty tight. How many people are averaging at workouts nowadays? It's, it's, it's been a, a nice jump. I mean, we do a thing called the ironclad challenge um, in the colder months just to get people out, which, you know, uh, awards points for sub 32 degree workouts and number of posts and number of pre-parties and number of cafeterias and all that. So you're amassing points and competing uh, with, with that. We always see a bit of an influx um, after the holidays. So, I mean, we're, we're pushing 20 just about every single day right now, which is uh, okay really encouraging after the pandemic it got a little bit light there for a while we we're in the chance sure. but <clears throat> yeah so you guys are getting close to needing to to break away and get some second aos offered uh once you start getting those numbers so um maybe offer yeah, different well, styles off a little bit 
Yeah, so we, we've kind of launched some guys out into Smyrna, kind of an adjacent city um, for another Tuesday workout there that's, again, a bit more of a drive for the folks that live in Nolensville proper, but there's some folks that are kind of on the on the fringe. So they split sure. some time. Um, yeah, we've slowly but surely kind of expanded out the options. <clears throat> yeah. So obviously didn't like running initially, got 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 to that first AO and, uh, you know, felt like it was the whole, now was it truly a run run or are you just out of shape and well, just felt like you ran a lot? It was both. I mean, it's, you know, the same thing. Anytime you EH a guy and you're out there, you know, prepping him in the car on the way there, like this is what you could probably expect, <clears throat> you know, guys kind of build their, they kind of have a reputation for something, right? Like that's sure. the bear crawl guy. That's the Indian run. Right. Guy. Gotcha. You have an idea of what you're going to walk into. In this case, I think it was kind of just a special event where it was an hour long thing. It was more of a, <laughs> oh, like a grow school. It was not a grow rock, but it was kind of a yeah. grow school where doing the introduction and the story and you know okay. there was like it's a big event um, yeah he was setting expectations and of course the time you do that is the time that they do something completely out of character uh, right so we got the we got the running day got it okay just curious well speaking of uh grow ruck i see a bunch of patches on the wall behind you um or it sounds yeah. like maybe you do a little bit of rucking now tell me a little bit about that journey Man, so when I was um, it, the first four months in Nolensville um, was really one, and then it, it, at one point we added the second AO. So it was really a one day a week entry for me into F three, um, and then we added a second later on. But I was supplementing <clears throat> with my kind of trail route um, and listening, and started as just a trail walk. Um, started to speed up and run a little bit. I'd listen to a podcast, you know, um, you know, while I was doing that trail, heard um, about GoRuck on that podcast. So I'm like, well, I've got a backpack and I've got bricks or dumbbells I can throw in a backpack and this would be harder. So I should do that. And, you know, ended up doing probably three, three miles a day on that trail at least four days a week. But most of the time it was even five or six just because it was fun. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. And then um, that same next door neighbor <clears throat> that uh, EH'd me was like, I saw, a, I started looking at GoRuck's website, you know, figuring out what these packs were. I'm like, God, this is insanely expensive. I'll stick with my dumbbells. But the, uh, he had a, a rucker and I'm like, dude, how do you know about this? Oh, I've been doing this for years. We should go. You should get a, get a ruck. So ended up getting one and uh, he kind of gave me my first introduction to speed rucking which at the time, you know, you go on for the first time with no knowledge and I'm thinking 45, I mean, I'm bigger than, I mean, I'm in a decent sized guy, 45 pounds on your back. That, why would I, why would I bother with 20? So we're, he's, we're speed rucking, effectively running or shuffling with the weight on and he is just kicking my butt. What is wrong with me? And he goes, well, how much weight are you carrying? I'm like a 45? And he goes, oh, God, I only got a 20. Nobody carries a 45. <laughs> We're out there doing hills with 45 pounds on. I couldn't figure out why I was just getting smoked. But um, all in all, that we, me and him and another guy, third degree, started a rut club in in uh, Nolensville and kind of started to pick up and experiment with events and did our first marathon um, star course. Um, we got first with a team of four, which is kind of hard to do um, just because you got a lot of guys. 
And <clears throat> I thought, okay, well, we can do this. So I started looking at more and competing in more and getting faster and better. And that became a little bit more of my, I mean, that's kind of my, uh, my jam. So we, we looked at the, the world championship, the rucking world championship at a DC two years ago popped up and I'm like, we got to do that. You know, 30 pounds for 50 miles. So me and third degree did that together. And then uh, this last year in Nashville, um, tiny dancer out of the spring Hill region. And I did the 50 in Nashville. So, wow. Looking so you said world championship and, of rucking. I, I haven't heard of this yet. So th- that's a, that's a real thing, huh? So it's my, my, uh, Funny story. Gold, my gold patch. We won number one team in uh, Nashville. We didn't have another team to compete against, but we finished. <laughs> hey, we, but you finished. The year, before, the year before, we got third in DC and the teams, the, the teams side. So there's an individual route. It's just a, it's a heavier pack and there's no, you know, you're not snapping pictures like a star course. It's for time. It's a race. Um, it's a little bit heavier of a weight and you're hitting, um, probably five, five or six waypoints and you get coordinates at every location. So instead of here's all the addresses you need to do and build your route, like a star course, it's here's one set of coordinates, find your way there and you'll get your next set of coordinates. And it's should be around 50 miles in DC. We started there. We ended up getting third as a team, but the team's division was by far the most competitive. Um, I think we got fourth overall as the third place team, which is kind of rare. Yeah. I would think in you know, teams events usually are a little bit slower than the individuals. Um, <clears throat> this year, we competed as a team again, thinking, okay, I mean, training by yourself in one of these races really sucks. So, you know, team approach was always a little bit more attractive. Um, and we get there and we show up and sign up as a team like, Hey, you guys are the only one. So if you finish, you get the gold. <laughs> That's right. Congratulations. You have just bought. We still, came in. <clears throat> we still came in second overall. So I was, I was pretty pleased with that. Yeah, the same great. guy who won the year before he won again. And he is a, he is a beast. Sounds like it. So how long does it take to complete 50 miles on a, with a rock typically? Well, I think I could do it faster, but in DC, it was about 10 hours and 24 minutes. And in Nashville, okay. which is triple the elevation change, um, it was a little over 12 hours. So, but again, each race you learn through those training cycles, the training cycles are about 600 miles, um, you know, all in for about four months. So you learn a lot of things about gear and what you can and shouldn't eat, um, uh, all, all you, you learn a lot about yourself. The, the mental game, I think, is probably the most attractive piece to me. When you're training for ultra distances, you got to get your head squared away. Which again, I think is where I, I think I gravitate more towards that because I'm not, you know, I'm not the the biggest, fastest, strongest, you know, with uh, uh, within the crew. But I think I can go the longest, and it's more mental than anything else. <clears throat> Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up because that is exactly right for for almost anything <clears throat> out there where we limit ourselves with our belief system. And if we just absolutely overcame that, we can always push ourselves a lot further than we can. Um, you mentioned uh, learning what gear to bring and not to bring during those things. What was the, the biggest mistake you made the first time that you'd never do again? 
I, I don't know if it was a mistake. I I, uh, I actually had a real big issue the first year because I didn't know this at the time. And it took me two and a half years to figure out what it was. I can ruck in the morning and never have a problem. But at night, the overnights, I would get super sick. And I thought hmm. it was food. So I kept tweaking and changing my food and nothing was changing. And I was just get like, I would get really, really sick. Um, and people talk about stomach turning and eating too many solids. So I went to liquids and nothing worked. And then I figured out, holy crap, it's motion sickness. It's my headlamp. So uh-huh. the bobbing over hours and hours and hours, and even worse, the strobe was making me really sick. Wow. So and I figured it out by going up. <clears throat> and I never, you know, you look things up and you research. I've never heard of it, anything like that in my life. But what triggered it in my mind is I'm I'm going up a hill at probably three in the morning and uh tiny dancer on the he was my partner in the Nashville race. He had a strobe going behind me. And I remember like, this feels like I'm watching the Blair Rich project because I'm on a back country road. It's pitch black and all I'm seeing is mm-hmm. this strobe. Um, country roads in the middle of the night. I mean, nobody's looking for a pedestrian with uh, no shoulder sure. on the road. I mean, it's not right. super safe, but makes the story better. Um, but but he uh, that first time I felt, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's this is motion sickness. Because I mean, I'm, I'm Blair Witch Project. I'm throwing up in the theater. Born yeah. Identity, throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. So I just got a big wide band, um, wide band uh, headlamp and never use the strobe and problem solved yes. didn't get sick yeah, on that, the, the last fit well that's interesting about the strobe so the 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 strategy behind the strobe was just to kind of draw attention to drivers <clears throat> and stuff I'm trying to think, yeah yeah i'm just trying to think from a vision standpoint i would have never used the strobe but i guess that makes sense if you're trying to draw attention to yourself from other vehicles or whatever and you know i have like a little red strobe that i'll put on the back of my head if i'm doing a run in the night uh but certainly in my vision what i'm looking at is a a consistency uh you know consistent white light Uh, but that's interesting that 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 caused you to do that and good for you man for figuring that out only took two and a half years yeah well good now from a from a movement standpoint i mean when you're doing that in 12 hours i'm i'm assuming that's pretty constant movement i mean do you have breaks do you, do you budget that in as far as the strategy stops and rest and stuff no i mean we're we're uh we're rucking intervals so i'll do a depending on the terrain i'll do like a 55 35 so we're we're legging it out for 35 seconds and we're walking we're mall walking for the 55 just to kind of keep some pace and catch your breath and again people do it different ways. I, every, every time that we're on one of these, someone asked me what the, what's coming out of the speaker on my ruck. Cause I've got an interval timer that says ah. three, two, one ruck, you know, three, two, one. I'd actually, it says shuffle and, uh, um, shuffle and strut. So, <clears throat> but it talks to me and all the other ruckers are like, what the heck are you, what is that saying? What are you, <laughs> what are you yeah. doing? But uh, that, that's just kind of been our strategy. I think in the, the shorter distances or the flats, I might do like a 40, 30, um, and I've, I've monkeyed with intervals a lot over the last few years too, just trying to figure out what works the best. Um, 
but yeah, it's a, it's a good workout and we don't stop. I mean, it, it's, it's straight through. The only thing that we really stopping for is water refills and maybe a sock change on the 50. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty, pretty wild. Now, as far as weight in the ruck, what is the minimum weight you have to carry? So on, on the world championship races, they do a 30 pound plate. So whatever else you want to put in there, you can put in there, but you have, it's gotta be a 30 pound plate. Most star courses are just 20. Um, and then there are some trail races that have kind of started to pop up. They're not go ruck events, but they're kind of sponsored or affiliated where they're basically adding a rucking division and they kind of have a universal patch. That's this little guy down here. And those are usually on the trail, which is a totally different animal. And that's a blast. And they range anywhere from 20 to 30. Um, but your terrain, like we just did one that was a, the black toe run out of Tennessee, out of Watertown. That's a 12 hour, um, 12 hours of loops. So how many loops can you get in 12 hours? And it's a 5.3 mile loop with 1100 some would say 1400 if kermit listens to this um our watches were not totally aligned but anywhere between 1100 to 1400 feet of change really wow. in the middle two and a half so it is just a beast um so we, we did that a couple weeks ago <clears throat> um and that was just with uh that was a 20 this year 30 last year yeah that's almost like a switchback kind of walking up a mountain there uh with that much incline change that's that's pretty impressive and you just do it over and over again for twelve hours for twelve hours you just try to stay yeah. on the course that's it I think that just, one that uh go ahead no I was go ahead i mean finish your thought I was just gonna say as far as weight is concerned, I have a fortieth birthday coming up in May, so I threw out a an option for the F3 guys in, in Nolansville and anybody else who wants to join, but doing a 40 by 40 by 40. So 40, 40 miles with 40 pounds for the 40th birthday. So that's yeah. the, that's the current, current route that we're uh, training towards. Sure. I think I might break it up into loop. More people will join me. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Sometimes if you have some kind of uh, smaller delineation that people can jump on and off on, you can get more participation. <clears throat> so you already have some hard commits for it. No, <laughs> I've got some guys trying to work out what they, what they want to do. I mean, sure. training for 40 miles for time, I think is, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big time commitment. This one isn't really, it's not for time as much as it's 40 pounds, a 40 pound plate with um, 40 miles. Again, not something you want to do off the couch, but we're not, I'm not trying to, you know, be, beat a world record or anything like that either. So. Yeah. Now, does any of these races or ruck events include like coupons or uh, boot camp style, inter, you know, stations that you have to pass through as well as they pretty much put the weight in it and get from point A to B as quickly as possible? Yeah. Yeah. I've done I've done the tough and the basic. I've not done the heavy, um, which is kind of on my on my list. Those ones, I, I like those events. Those are good team builder camaraderie, you know um kind of fun events i i like the distance for time better that's just kind of my my thing um more clear training path and i don't know i like i like the mental side you know when it's when you're doing your training rucks this last time was a bit of a different experience where my first 50 miler was with someone who lived right in my neighborhood around the corner so we were leaving from our driveways 
the second one, um, we ended up, it was really great experience actually, where our midweek training rucks were alone and our, um, kind of the weekend long rucks were together. So we kind of traded cities cause he lives probably about 40, 45 minutes away. So we were driving back and forth to each other's house for the long rucks, the 20, 30, 40, you know, milers we were doing together. So we at least had the, the team cohesion there, but then you had to go out at, you know, three or four in the morning and the pitch black gloom alone and figure out what you got with, you know, 18 and 20 and 25 miles towards the end. Sure. That was your midweek light run. Wow. Um, it was really, really great mental grit training for sure. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine, and you keep bringing up mental grit because that again is, I think at the the basis of, of what's going to get anybody through that, obviously you got to physically train. There's a strategy behind <clears> that, but at the end of the day, we all reach that moment where we have to physically dis- or mentally decide rather that we're going to continue to physically push it. So um, I can completely understand putting yourself in that scenario over and over again is what's going to flex that muscle and get it stronger. Um, I got some logistics questions around some of this. Uh, one, let's talk about hydration, water. Are you just carrying lots of water? Do you use electrolytes? What What have you found to be pretty successful to help you endure some of these longer rucks? I think that if you... Um... Everyone, it seems to be just a little bit different. So I think there's just a lot of trial and error and not making too many changes at one time, like testing this out. When you're training for a 50 miler over four months, you get a lot of opportunities to really figure out what works and and what doesn't. Um, I went through this giant progression over the last two years of, you know, the combination of goose and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, I think when you get into the, eight to 10 to 12 mile range or hour range that mass sitting in your gut can be problematic and maybe unpredictable. Um, so I I've moved away from food for the most part. And I, I use, uh, there's a powder that has electrolytes and um, some protein and all this that you mix with water. And I, I actually kind of rigged it on this last rock. I, I used it as my primary fuel source. I didn't eat a, bit of solid food for the 12 hours I had a uh, my uh, water bladder set on the back and a kind of a squishy bottle that I would carry and I had front pouches where I would stuff my pre-partitioned powder packets and I'd bring that out dump the powder in and then use my water bladder upside down so it kind of fed up under my arm um, to use as my refill so I didn't have to stop or slow down and then shake it up, eat it. And, you know, it's 250 calories an hour. So it's a little bit more than you'd get out of like a goo or something like that. But it's also not just this big mass of something sitting in your gut. Um, I've used, uh, in fact, at the Black Toe Run a couple weeks ago, that's a little different because you're not like out in no man's land. You're you're doing five mile loops. So you're coming back and you've got this smorgasbord of whatever you want, you know, peanut butter cookies. In fact, you know, talk about an interesting fueling plan. And I say plan, it was not a plan. Um, it just was what was there and it smelled good, but, um, that was primarily fueled on peanut butter cookies and deer steaks. So <laughs> that's not something I would recommend long-term, but, uh, those deer steaks, they just look so good. And, you know, I figured if it got cold and hard, it wouldn't be good later. So I had to do it. I had to get while the getting was good, but, uh, that made for some interesting loops for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, you I, said, I think, uh, 
when you said 250 an hour as far as calories, so are you drinking one of those shakes every hour or do you space it out further than that? So you know, on the on the 50, if I'm going more than like five or six hours, I'm I'm pretty dialed in on the food because it can become such a big variable. Anything under that, you know, whether it's 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 gonna be gels and I might use um, you know, that that powder or something like that. Um, but I'm a little bit more loose on those because it's not that long. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I try, I try to pound that, that now that, that powder is kind of interesting. It's more like it, it's not like a protein shake. So it's not clumpy or chalky. It is, it dissolves in the water. So it's just like you're drinking flavored water. And then I may, if I feel a little dumpy or if I know there's a bunch of Hills coming up or if it gets hot or something like that, I have like two or three, um, like real light gels, like a Huma or, or something like that. That's not the gel consistency. Cause that's kind of gross after 10 hours um, that I might pump one of those with, um, you know, like a lemon flavor something like that, just for that kind of fruit burst for my, the front of my brain to liven up a little bit and get an extra boost for Hills. But sure. Now <clears throat> I understand there's some of these events are going on throughout the night and, and so forth. And then there's a, probably a fueling strategy for that. Now, if you had a launch, let's just say, you know, 6 p.m. overnight, are you eating normally throughout the the day leading up to that? Or do you have a strategy going into the race that you try to adhere to? No, I mean, uh, I'll I'll typically do like an oatmeal in the morning and, you know, try to stick with um, just a small lean protein, veggies, stuff like that. And I won't eat three hours before a race is just typically my, my game plan. Um, I might throw some rice in there, um, just for that little extra boost, but real, real light, nothing real, no bold. I'm not going and crushing a burger or anything like that the day of, cause that will, that will find me in a couple hours. <laughs> I gotcha. Now, so have you ever done, I tried that. So that, that is, that is actually the burger experience. I had to, I had to check that one off my box through experience. <laughs> I hear you. Um, have you ever tried an actual grow rock, uh, with through the F3 organization? Yeah. So I, I was all ready to roll for the Nashville grow ruck, um, this last year and ended up popping COVID the day before. So oh, no. no, I had the benefit of a, of a grow ruck. I was, I was on the goal line, but sure. COVID, uh, well, other plans. well, the good news is there's more opportunities this year <laughs> and there will continue to be more opportunities. Uh, I'm assuming. Uh, even coming probably back to Nashville at some point, uh, as far as you know, getting getting guys into that culture because it is something that's growing quite a bit, and it's a fantastic, as you mentioned earlier, team building and leadership development, and um, you know, I think it's something obviously you'll gravitate towards and and do well with. Oh, yeah. So um, yeah, I was just curious if you had done an actual grow rock at all. Um, as far as footwear, are you wearing tennis shoes? Do you have rucking boots? What, what's your sock story too? Oh man, these are all my, these are great questions. I'm, I'm a bit of a gearhead. So this part of the training windows are especially exciting for me. And you pick up some hacks. I mean, the first marathon we did, um, I was not dialed in, probably wasn't physically ready for it. Um, never had a big blister problem, but by mile 26, I popped a gigantic blister off the, the whole edge of my heel. And then the other side was the same, just hadn't popped yet. So um, 
really was a factor of I didn't really lock in my heels in the shoes and tie them well enough. And I probably just wore old crappy socks. Um, so I couldn't put my sh- heels on my sheets, even oh, in my gosh. bed. I had to elevate. It was, it was really challenging to wear shoes for a couple of weeks. But after that, spent a lot of time on footwear. I mean, I'm an ultra guy. I mean, I kind of take take I've taken time to adjust to the zero drop. It's not for everybody, but uh, I've got uh, on the 50 because you are on so many long. You're on so many long rucks throughout that cycle. I actually ended up buying their um, their casual shoe also so I can wear it like with khakis and work um, just to kind of keep that zero drop feel going all the time. But um, I'm an ultra guy, kind of go to the mid mid cushion, nothing too squishy because I don't feel like I have control. But I also, you know, 50 miles of pounding on like a, a superior or something with a real, real thin, um, you know, sole. Again, you might feel on your knees later, too. So I'm kind of a middle of the road guy. Um, sock wise, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a lot of good ones out there. I like the Mudgear um, Ruck Socks. But uh, really had some good success with right sock. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but they they've mm-hmm. kind of got a thing where instead of wearing two socks, um, it's kind of two layers. So you're it's like you're wearing two socks, but it's all in one one unit. So like for the fifty, I carried two pair. Um, so mile twenty five or whatever, um, the the middle ish waypoint was. I just flipped those off, put them back on, and I also uh, use that chamois butter on my feet. So I feel like if you, uh, when you kind of lube up your, your heels between your toes, the bottom of your feet, just because you're hitting for so long, it can get raw, maybe not blister, but that helps a ton, especially if it's wet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. I think that's where guys suffer a lot, you know, when they do their first event and they're not prepared, you know, the, the, the foot care. Uh, I know personally, I was on a, a go rock event one time and just, I don't know. Maybe we got wet sooner than we thought or, or something. Long story short, I mean, I'm in the middle of the night. I got this hot spot that's starting to develop. And um, actually somebody, somebody that was there had some kind of little first aid, something yeah. that you put on in your shoe, actually, that made the, the made it less friction, um, kind of like a frictionless pad, if you will. And uh, that saved me. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't specifically moleskin, but too similar um and yeah. and that really saved my foot the rest of the night um but uh i know the last go ruck or grow ruck i did um you know guys are guys that seems to be a a, a point of uh, of you know challenge for for guys if, if they haven't properly changed out their socks and you know i, I my, my mo is yeah if i got my sock wet at some point I'm going to change it out just to get that dry sock back on as soon as possible. Maybe not right away because you might go back into the water sooner than later. But, um, you know, certainly I do. That's if, if I carry any extra gear, it's, it's those extra couple pairs of socks. Cause uh, it makes a big difference by the end of the day. Um, cause I know a lot of guys, they do. Um, I know go ruck sells rucking style boots and so forth. So you found actually more of a tennis shoe, approach or sneaker oh. approach is better than a boot if, if if you're going long distances on the road or even on the trail i find that the 
the running shoes. I mean, I'm again, I'm a bit of a gearhead. I like to go um, and try all these things out, but I have road shoes and I have trail shoes. So depending on which, which terrain I'm on um, the shoes are going to be very similar. They're just going to have a different tread underneath the hood. So if you wear boots, I don't, it's not bad. And some people probably really like it and get used to it, but there's so much more room for air and hot spots. Like if you don't tie them just right and you catch a weird spot on your ankle that can wreck you. Um, so I just go with a straight up good cushion running shoe, especially on the road because you're, you're not doing a whole lot of bobbing and weaving. You're not getting cut up by branches or anything. The boot utility is not really uh super beneficial to me at least on the on the road races yeah no i mean and, and i i do the same thing i don't do nearly as much rucking as you do um but i found that when i ruck i use you know uh, basically my running style of tennis shoes um like i would if i'm just running and i found that that just really helps with the cushion and the support mm-hmm. of my knees and the ankles and and so forth versus trying to use a, a, a stiffer style of boot, which I, I tried initially and I just, I didn't love it. Now I do quite a bit of backpacking, um, you know, hiking, backpacking, camping, backpacking. Uh, my, my kids are both in scouting and we do a lot of that. So I do wear a boot, like a, a hiking boot when I do those. Now you're not carrying as much weight and it is more rest and it's, it's more of a, a leisure type of scenario mm-hmm. versus you know what you're doing which is is for time and and, and certainly longer distance mileage without rest so I, I find that in those scenarios the boot's fine but anything else I, I try to stick to the tennis shoe per you know sneaker whatever um yeah, I, I wanted the best court because I thought they looked sweet so I, I really <laughs> wanted to make it work I did several training runs with them on the you know 10 to 15 mile range and I fortunately had brought a pair of backup shoes in my, in my ruck, but uh, I was getting a lot of crap from my training partners at the time too. Cause we we're three in a row. I'm like, I got to get these boots off. I am just yeah. dying. Something's wrecking on my ankle or on my heel. It just was never, never worked out, but. Gotcha. So what's the next, yeah. So what's the next long ruck? Uh, uh, you mentioned your birthday coming up. I mean, is that the next thing on the docket or do you have something before that? I, I was, I really was looking for, um, I wanted to do the 70, they have a 75 mile star course in DC this year. I was looking at that. And then the second I was ready to sign up, I separated my shoulder at a Turkey bowl football game. F3. We have every year we do a Turkey bowl game um, on Thanksgiving day at the high school football field. And um, I went for a tipped ball and dove into the ground, completed the catch and the first down, but which is important. My shoulder. It was, it was, it was uncontested. <laughs> really, really stoked about the catch. It's like slow motion. Great. That's which right. was on video, but I, the sound of oh. my shoulder coming to pieces was, was menacing to say the least. And I was out just out. I couldn't hardly even, I mean, I couldn't dress myself. Um, there's other things that, you know, right-handed were a, a challenge, you know, just uh, getting ready for the day. So I was, I was slinging it for a little while um, and really couldn't even walk fast without jarring it. Yeah. In pain. So had a little time on IR and that killed my 75 mile plan. Got it. So you back, back, back at it now. I mean, your shoulders better. Yeah, we, we did. We did. Uh, I'm nine 
nine weeks out. Um, we did black toe lat a week or two ago. That okay. was kind of my test of, uh, you know, how much can I do with my shoulder and it, it's a little tight, but we're, uh, I think we're, uh, on the mend in general. Cool. You mentioned earlier about pairing nutrition with, with exercise when you kind of dialed it in with F3. Um, what specifically did you find that was the, the, the most beneficial change that you made that you weren't doing previously that really helped you lose that weight? So I was, I was thinking about this before our call was what, um, all the things that I had tried as a standalone. And again, from a dietary standpoint, I feel like I sought out every crash diet or fad that you can find to lose weight. Cause that was what I thought I wanted to do. Um, and that includes weight watchers, Metafast, HCG drops, paleo, whole 30 keto runners diet, Noom, all the things Noom actually is kind of where I landed with a, a combo, but it was, all of them work like you will lose weight if you work the plan. So every diet works if you work it, but depending on what the outcome you actually want. And what I found was like weight watchers, Metafast, I dropped 30 pounds both times, gained it all back. But every time that I lost all that weight, I was weak. <laughs> I just was, I lost a lot of strength, a lot of muscle mass, like, crap, I'm just going on this, this diet to lose a bunch of muscle. Cause I felt like that's pretty much all that I lost close fit a little bit better, but it was much more on the muscle side. So what I saw a, a big difference in, <clears throat> in pairing when, when I started with kind of Noom, just tracking my food, it's not really a crash diet. It's just simply saying, you know, here's the range that you need to stay within calorically. And they'll give you a bunch of pointers on, you know, looking for um, non-calorically dense food. So instead of raisins, eat grapes, that kind of thing. So eat stuff that will make you feel full, but full of water. Um, and then just stay within reasonable calorie ranges. So it's not like I'm going down to 500 calories a day to lose weight quickly and it adjusts for activity. So it's almost, you gamify it a little bit. And the result for me was body composition. So when you're doing, you know, boot camp style workouts, when you're getting in a bunch of good cardio, you're actually gaining muscle in some cases, um, maybe at the, at the bottom end, again, I still didn't like, I didn't like myself at 173. That was a little bit too light, but, um, when you want to, uh, when you, you know, pull your pants on your, I'm, I think I got down to less than what I weighed in high school, but the same weight I wore, uh, a, a 32 size pants at, um, a heavier weight than I was at in high school, which I thought was kind of unique that my body had trimmed and sculpted a little bit more by pairing the two. So I didn't really get that until I did it, but it makes a huge difference. And I'm, I mean, I'm the same weight right now as I was when I was playing high school football. Yeah, no, you brought up a great point. And, and that's, I think is the epidemic we have in our society with diets in general. It's this mindset of restriction and loss and, um, you know, holding back and, to your point, you could do all those things and get quote unquote results, especially when we're talking about weight loss. But what mm -hmm. happens, unfortunately, is it's just not sustainable because at some point we decide we don't want to live like that anymore. And we start eating quote unquote normal again. And then therefore we gain it all back um, versus more of that long-term lifestyle approach. You know, I teach all the time now more of this muscle 
building strategy versus fat loss strategy. I found that, um, you know, if I can get somebody to concentrate on getting the building blocks of muscle and worry about building muscle by default, you're going to burn fat. I mean, you just metabolically going to do that. And the difference is you're not starving yourself or changing that metabolic rate. And instead you're speeding it up so that you can continue to eat and exercise and gain muscle, but trim down and to your point, you weigh heavier, but you're skinnier and you can, you know, just kind of how the body works. So that's interesting. That's what you saw as well as a, as a big benefit. Um, yeah. And what's kind of funny, I I got a kick out of this. We're, I was at, uh, cafeteria Tuesday and I was chatting with a, one of the packs in our, in our group. And he was saying, man, really sucks when you do keto. And when you come off keto, and you eat that way well for a long time, you can lose some weight. But when you start adding everything back in, so you're eating pork rinds with Cheerios, it really does some damage. <laughs> it's a recipe for, you get you get so restrictive and then you get on these like, hey, you found some things that you really like, but they're all super high in fat. But then I'm going to pair that with a whole bunch of carbs. I'm going to carb with a whole bunch of sugar. And so, you know, the thing that kind of helped you maybe drop for a time ends up really kind of hosing you on the back. And I think if you just kind of spread it all out, there's no bad, you know, bad foods. If you, you want to want to have a dessert, it's not the end of the world, but not stacking them on top of each other is probably the biggest key. So it's, I think that uh, moderation is probably a little bit, maybe even harder than the crash diets. Cause you're just laser focused and you're limited. Um, but it's not super sustainable. So. Yeah, no, great, great point. And, uh, you're absolutely right that the combo of high carbohydrate, high fat is what gets people in trouble. You know, you put those two together and, and, and we, it's a recipe for metabolic disease and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm a big 80, 20 fan, meaning 80% of the time I'm, I'm dialing it in, I'm, I'm making conscious decisions. And then I allow for that 20% of life and fun and purposeful, um, you know, other options, uh, when, when, when I want to and not beat myself up over it. Well, man, yep. we could we we could talk forever. Um, I'm really enjoying this conversation, but for the sake of time, um, I'm going to wrap this thing up a little bit. I do have two final questions for you. Um, and my first is this: I mean, you've talked a lot about different tips and strategies, you know, specifically around rucking for sure. Um, and you can continue to to, to use that same, you know, uh, line line of thought, or it could be something more general. But if you could give a guy three tips to get them on their own hunt for wellness, what would those three tips be? Um, I, I think that just staying on the theme of, um, well, if, if we use the F3 terminology, the hard commit has psychological benefits across the board. And and really, if you look at, uh, if you've ever read like Tiny Habits, Atomic Habits, kind of the same book, just one's longer. Um the whole idea of removing barriers and committing when it's easy, not at, you know, at game time. Um, and one example would be, you know, in, in the context of F3, if your shoes are out, your socks are out, your shorts, your shirt, everything's ready to go, your alarm's set, and you hit the button, HC, there's some accountability there too. But if you remove the decisions ahead of time, then you're much more likely to have success. So hard commit basically on all the on all fronts, right? Remove barriers. Um, when it's easy, so you don't have to do that and make decisions when it's hard. Um, I would say stacking habits. I mean, I think 
I'm a poster child for, ah, crap. I had a sonic blast. Um, I guess I'm starting on Monday. And then Monday's like, "Mm, maybe I'll start at the beginning of the month. February 1st sounds like a good start date. And then it becomes, I think I'll have a new new year's resolution. So your, your, uh, Mondays turn into to months and then your months turn into new year's resolutions, which just totally ridiculous where I had the most success was when my wife was basically telling me to quit whining and quit complaining about being heavy and do something. So she texted me this new map and I started immediately. Right. So it's okay. So I, uh, make the decision and you're moving on. And when you fall off the wagon a little bit, if you wait till Monday, your hose just start again immediately because the smaller choices more frequently, you know, shavings make a pile, um, keep you back on, uh, keep you back on track faster. And then one, one thing I would, I, I kind of pulled and have used in a lot of different ways from a, a, a go ruck tough event, uh, cadre hand was encouraging everybody to take one movement at a time. So in the, in the ruck events, you've got, uh, I've got to move point, point A to point B. Don't think about the next 10 hours of pain, just get your heavyweight from here to there one movement at a time. I've used that just in the, you know, stressful life, you know, you got kids and a job and like, man, I got to get through this day, but maybe I should just get through this next hour and focus more granularly on taking that next step um, and making good choices and getting through it more so than worrying about the next couple hours or days. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think that's great. I mean, great tips and I totally resonate with all those things. And um, absolutely could be game changing for a man if they just willing to, to adhere to those. So appreciate that. I do have one final question, um, but before I ask it, I just want to again uh, acknowledge you, Nimbus, and say thank you for coming on today and sharing your story and certainly all the enlightenment about the rucking and what you're doing. I know a lot of guys are curious about rucking or are dabbling with it, and and you know I, I felt like you were able to kind of share and shed shed some light on some of that strategy behind that. So I appreciate you for that. Um, if a guy had a question for you or wanted to reach out to you personally. What are some best ways for them to do that? Um, I'm on the the GoRuck National Slack as Nimbus 1500, um, so they can reach out to me you, there. You mean F3's um, National Slack, F3 National Slack? What I You said GoRuck, but we've been taught. Yeah, we've been oh. talking about <laughs> GoRuck a lot. So, yeah. so yeah, on I mean, the F3 and, and if National you are Slack. on that GoRuck National Slack, that's great too. I just I don't know how many guys are on that. I don't know if there is one of those. I'm not on that, <laughs> okay. so don't try to think. Okay, um, so the yeah, F3 I, National Slack. Gotcha. Mac McLenathan, um, uh, LinkedIn, all, all the main socials except Twitter. I don't do, I don't know, I don't get Twitter. Okay, gotcha. Well, I appreciate that. Hopefully guys can reach out. And that's how I was able to reach you is through the nation Slack. So you're super accessible through there, guys, if, uh, if, if you want to reach out to Nimbus. So my friend, uh, my last talk about yeah. rucker, rucking or gear. Those are my, okay. uh, my two favorite cool. topics. All right, man. Well, my last question for you is this, uh, what is your definition of wellness? Ooh, I wish I would have had time to think about that one. ahead of the ask, um, I'll go maybe more abstract and just be balanced, right? Um, eating, eating whole foods, being active. Um, I don't think that it's something that's super easy to be obsessive over, um, which can lead to, to burnout. But as long as you're not 
stacking a bunch of, you know, bad habits and uh, you can arrest the spiral faster um, and live a little bit more balanced. I, I would think that that falls into my category of wellness. Thanks for listening to the Hunt for Wellness podcast. Please rate and review our show and be sure to share it with your F3 brothers. As always, we are looking for inspiring stories to share and health experts to interview. So if that's you, please reach out to me at bones at huntforwellness.com, on the nation Slack at bones, or Twitter at HFW Podcast. And until next time, this has been Bones guiding the packs of F3 Nation on their hunt for wellness.